Good evening. <laughs> Thanks. Um, great. Um, I know I realised I didn't, well, when I led communion, I didn't get a chance to say hello properly, and if we haven't met who I am. But I'm, I'm Bob, and I am I'm part of the church. I, I work for the church. Um, I'm officially the curate, which means I'm learning how to be a vicar. Um, hopefully I'm doing all right. But uh, anyway, this is one of the joys of, that I, I have of um, unpacking the scripture and, uh, and feasting on it together. And so that's what we're going to do now. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and help us as we do, as we do that. So um, Holy Spirit, we pray, would you come and open our eyes to see Jesus again tonight in uh, every part of this scripture that we're reading and unpacking would it point to the goodness of God and his love for us in Jesus moving our hearts we pray in Jesus name amen amen okay so we're reading this story we've been we've been tracking with uh, this guy this prophet if you if you haven't been with us we're tracking through this um the story of the prophet Elisha and uh um, and, and this part of the story is quite an interesting one for, for many reasons. But the, the, the Old Testament, as we read, this, this is a, a reading from the book in the, from, in the Old Testament. And uh, the Old Testament is the story of God's people, the people of Israel. And all the stories that we read about in the Old Testament are about the people of Israel, most of them. Uh, but this one is not about the people of Israel. It's about someone who's outside of the people of Israel. So if you, if you know the history of God's people, there was this chap called Abraham, and God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to use you, and out of you will come a nation, and that nation is going to image me. It's going to show who I am to the whole world. It's going to be a light, and it's going to image me to the whole world. Abraham, if you know the story, Abraham had eventually had, had a son, uh, Isaac, and through his line, uh, many, through many years, there, there came this nation, the nation of Israel. And they were enslaved in Egypt. If you know your, your story, Moses, uh, and uh, if you ever see the Prince of Egypt, uh, or, or read that story where Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, let my people go. And God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. And he brings them to this, eventually to this place uh, called the Promised Land. And the promised land is this place where God's people are in like, they're, they're in God's place and they're in God's presence and they experience like God's blessing. That's what it's, it's, what it's all about. Um, but within that place, the people of Israel start making mistakes and they start worshipping the gods of other nations who are around them. And, uh, and they get into trouble and all, all sorts of trouble. And so the, the, the nation that um, this man... Naaman comes from is the, the nation of Aram. And that, in terms of where Israel, the promised land is, is kind of in the northeast of, uh, it's the northeast, like, neighboring country. Big country. And, uh, and this man, Naaman, is not, he's not one of the Israelites. He's not one of God's people. He lives outside of, of that nation. But this story is all about him encountering God. So, um, so it's a really interesting one for us to kind of, like, pick up on, on what's going on. Um, and uh, 
And, and we know who he is, so we're told that he is the captain of all the military in, in the nation of Aram. So he's, he's a soldier, he's a valiant soldier, the text says. If, you, if, you, if you've got it on your Bible or your phone, whatever, keep it out as we go along. Um, follow, follow through with me. He's a valiant soldier, and it says in the text, um, uh, in fact, we'll, we'll go to that in a second, but, but Israel had been at, at war with this nation Aram for about 150 years on and off. So there's a long-lasting kind of like conflict that's going on with this nation, uh, of which Naaman is one of the like key leaders and the, the leader of the military. So about for 150 years, but during this time, there's not a, there's, the conflict has died down. There's a bit of peace going on, although it's a little bit turbulent, as you can uh, tell from the, the reaction of the king of Israel. Um, anyway, but to people reading this account, to Jews reading this account, this man, Naaman, was an enemy of Israel. Okay, it's really important that we get that. He's not just a stranger that they don't know. He's an enemy of Israel. It's likely that he has been into Israel and killed many, many people. Led armies into Israel and killed many, many people. It's likely that he's taken things from them, including people. So we read about this girl, this slave girl who's been taken from Israel and brought back into the house of Aram. So this guy is an enemy, and he's not just an enemy, but he's taken people. You know, he's, he's enslaved people. He's killed people. So they would have felt, as they're reading this, like a sense of, you know, like, we hate this guy. Yeah, we, we really we dislike this guy. He's, he, you get what I'm saying? Yeah? You need to feel a bit of that as we go through the story of who he was, that he's a, he's a bad man in their eyes. But... In the eyes of his nation, it said he was great. Verse 1 says he was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. So God, who redeemed his people out of Israel, out of, sla- uh, sorry, out of Egypt, out of slavery, who brought them into the promised land. Is he the God of the people of Israel? Yes, he is the God of the people of Israel. But is he at work in people's stories outside of the tribe of Israel? Yeah, he is. God is at work in the lives of people who don't know him. That's a thought to hold on to tonight. Many of us, you know, our stories of coming to know Jesus, you know, I'm sure if Jack had longer than two minutes with Sam and could have talked about his, his journey, as he looks back, he might say that he's seen God at work in his life as he looks back. Now he realizes who God is and the way God works, that maybe God was working in Jack's life way before he got to university in, so, in many ways. And for many of us in the room, our stories will, as we look back on them, they'll have a bit of that about them. It'll be like, God, God was on my case a long time before I realized that he was. He was pursuing me. He was coming after me. You know? and, and the drive of that is that God loves. God is love. God loves us. He's pursuing us even before we turn to face him. The Bible's really clear that Jesus died for us even when we didn't know who he was, why we were still his enemies outside of understanding who he was and how much, that's how much he loves us. 
But Naaman has this problem, and the problem he has is he's got this disease, leprosy. It's a horrible, horrible disease. Now, um, the, when the Old Testament talks about leprosy, um, it can mean like many different kind of skin conditions. Um, but the idea behind them is, is that it's a really big deal for Naaman, okay, to have this skin condition where bits of his skin is falling off, maybe losing fingers and toes. You know, eventually it's going to be something that kills him, this disease. So he's got this disease and it is, it's an honor-shame culture that he lives in. And so with this disease, not only the physical things that he's struggling with, but also the, like, the honor-shame, it's like uh, that he's going to lose his standing in society because of this thing that he has, this disease that he has. He'll become like an outcast, separated off from the connections that he has. He's got, he's got so much to lose it says he was a commander in the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. So his master is the king of Aram. And, so, um, and, and because he's got great standing with his master, he can go to his master with this request to explore this means of being healed. Like he's got access, direct access to the king. Such is his power and his standing in, the, in this nation. And the king says to him, uh, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I think this is verse 5. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, which apparently, in today's money, is worth about 200,000 pounds. So it's a big amount of money that he's taking with him. Okay? And, and he wouldn't have just been taking it on his backpack. Okay? There would have been horses and chariots going with him to take this kind of like money with him. It says he took... Uh, the, um, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. Apparently in today's money, 3.2 million pounds worth of gold this guy is taking. He is super wealthy, super rich, super in need. Well, I love this bit as well. It says 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. You know, excellent choice. You know, one for every occasion. Um, you know, apparently it was like a thing, like a, when it says clothing it's like a roll of cloth that you would give it's not actually sets of clothing properly but sets of clothing could be made from these things anyway he's taken with him these gifts of like significant worth and then the letter he took to the king of israel and he said with this the, the letter read with this letter i'm sending my servant naaman to you that you may cure him of his leprosy and so in this moment we read in the text that the king of israel has some kind of like minor meltdown you know Ah, you know, the king of Aram, this incredibly powerful, wealthy person who we've been at war with on and off for the last 150 years is sending me this guy to cure. And he's so upset and distraught by it, he, he like tears his clothes. There's this like sign of utter you know, devastation. He tears his clothes. And then we read in the text that the, the prophet, Elisha, hears about what's going on and he says, send him to me and you'll see you know, you'll see God work. And so they send Naaman and his whole entourage down to Elisha's house and they wait outside Elisha's house and this weird thing happens where Elisha sends uh, like a messenger or a servant out and doesn't bother to come out himself to greet this incredibly important visitor that's come. And Naaman is then told, you know, go down to the River Jordan and washed seven times by the servant. And you know, it, he, he didn't react well. It's like he, he went off in a rage. Well, because Elisha didn't come out to see him and meet him and value him. 
but also he's told to go and wash in the river. He's like, we've got rivers at home. You know, if, I could, if it was about washing in a river, I'd go and wash in a river back home. He's, li- he's like livid, he's cross. He's angry, he's, like, he's enraged. And then what happens? The servants of this guy, they, they know how to talk to him to like, you know, ease the rage. They're like, my father. They, they say, my father. They kind of like help him turn around from this moment and go towards the River Jordan. And then Naaman goes into the River Jordan and seven times he washes in the, in the, in the River Jordan. And, uh, and eventually he comes up and his skin is like a young boy's skin. The leprosy completely gone. Now just imagine that for a minute, just being Naaman in that moment. Your power, your wealth, everything you carry, but it means nothing because you've got this disease which is going to kill you and move you into a place where you're an outcast. And suddenly, you go on the whim of this slave girl who tells you where you can get some healing. You follow it up. You go down into the water. Just imagine that. Go down to the water once in that river. Nothing's happened. Again, nothing's happened. Again. Again, seventh time you come up, absolutely restored, completely healed, transformed. Now Naaman didn't know what that river meant for the people of Israel. He wasn't part of this story. He wasn't looking for God. He was looking for healing. But that river represented the crossing into the promises of God. The people of God crossed that river. God stopped it for them. And they built an, like a, a monument on the other side with these 12 massive stones to remember that God is with us. God is here. We are moving into the promised land. He washes in that river, the symbol of moving into a place of God's promise. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. He doesn't even know who God is. And then we read in the story that he goes back to Elisha's house with his whole entourage and he's like, I've got to give you something. I've realized that there is a God, a real living God, and he's here in this land. It's your God. And I want to pay, you know, like I want to pay for what's happened. I want to give, give you these gifts, 3.2 million pounds. Not bad. But what does Elijah say? No, don't give it to me. You know, it's not me who's healed you. It's God who's healed you. And he goes off. If you read the rest of the story, it's quite an interesting thing that happens next. I encourage you to do that later, but. This is an amazing story of someone who is outside of the people of God and yet experiences God's love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and healing in such an amazing way. And as I've been reading this story this week, there's a few things that have like just hit me between the eyes, okay? And, and a few challenges that I would just like want to present to you and to me, okay? These are to me as well. But the first one is... Um, is that, isn't it amazing that God works outside of our boundaries? Don't you think it's amazing? The boundaries that the people of Israel had for encountering God, encountering healing, being blessed by God, were the promised land. Go outside the promised land, there's no blessing there. God's not with you there. God's not with those nations. But the truth is, God is at work outside of this place right now. He's, outside, he's at work out on the street. He's doing stuff in your workplace. He's doing stuff in your halls of residence. He's doing stuff in your lecture theatres. So don't, don't, don't be, um, you know, don't be like, don't miss that, guys. Okay, don't miss the fact that God is at work 
outside of where we think he's working, outside of the boundaries. And, 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 and I love that the whole, this whole week, there's been one character in the story who I've just focused on and I've loved just sort of like looking at and imagining who this person is. And it's the slave girl. The slave girl is the hero in so many ways in this story. Can you imagine this, this girl, this young girl, has been carried off from her homeland. She's probably seen relatives killed, family members killed, or whatever's happened. We don't know that for sure. She's been taken against her will. She's been enslaved in a house of her enemy, of the man who leads the armies to kill her, her family members and things like that. And when he is hurting, when he needs something, something miraculous, she extends the invitation across the boundary of pain, across the boundary of her like hate for this man you know, that might be there. And she extends good news to this man who is her enemy. And I just have been thinking about it over and over again this week, thinking like, what a legend. What an amazing woman to have had the courage in that capacity, in that moment, to extend that kind of invitation and say, I know, I know where you can receive healing, even though you have done all these things to me and to my family and to my nation. Utterly remarkable. The grace that this young girl extends to this man in, the, in this moment. And it's made me think again and again, who in my lives, who, sorry, who in my life, who in our lives are like that man, the enemy, that we would never extend an invitation to for some reason. And ex- we would never extend an invitation to the good news that we know because they're just too like idiotic or they're too prickly as a character or they're too like, you know, I don't know, violently opposed to anything to do with church or because of what they've said about me in the past or because of a relationship breakdown, whatever it is, who are those people in my world? Who there's the boundary and I would not extend the invitation to good news across that boundary. And this girl is challenging me as I look at her. Who is it? Who is it in my world who I can extend the invitation to? You know, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he was all about breaking the boundaries that people had experienced in, but before. You know, Jesus broke the boundary of who it was appropriate to sit with and eat with. You know, and people, ha- and people disliked him for it. He went over the boundary. He, he, he went over the boundary of when it was appropriate to do healings and miracles. Apparently it's not appropriate on the Sabbath, according to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. But Jesus crossed the boundary, was healing people, setting them free on the Sabbath, crossing the boundaries. Jesus crossed the boundary, he came down from heaven, he extended the boundary of the kingdom of God that we might know what it is to be in relationship with him. He was extending the boundary on the cross, he was extending the boundary in the grave. There's not a boundary that can contain him, that can hold him. He's breaking the boundaries. And for you and for I, we've got to ask, you know, this girl here, she's, there's a whisper of Jesus in what she's done, in what she's doing. And we, I want to be someone who moves behind in the wake of this girl and says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow you in that. I'm going to extend the invitation to people that don't fit in my box, that are outside of my boundary, trusting that God's already at work there, like he was here.
So, the other thing I want to, I want to ask, or, or that's been like, um, I'm look, looking at again and again in this passage, is, uh, is the idea that also um, Naaman had to break some boundaries in this story as well in order to encounter God, in order to receive what he received. Uh, Naaman does this amazing thing in the story where he listens to this slave girl. In the culture back then, this, this girl likely had no authority and no voice to speak in the, in the house uh, of her master, yet her voice is risen, rises to the top and he listens to her. He even takes what she says to the king, which is an amazing thing. There's a level of humility in Naaman, which you start to catch a glimpse of, which is pretty inspiring. Even though he's got some issues, some pride issues and some rage issues or whatever else is going on in his life, there is some humility there, isn't there, in listening to this girl and of acting on what she says. And then uh, there's this moment of humility where he, he's in that rage. He doesn't want to wash in the river, uh, he, he's in that, but he, he listens to his servants and he turns around and he acts on what they say. There's a humility there again as well. But then you see the humility in terms of, this is a man, he's going to a river um, and he's, he's going down into the river once, nothing happens. Twice, nothing happens. Three times, nothing happens. Isn't there a level of like faith and humbleness and humility and longing that you see in this man? Like he's willing to kind of look. He, like, he's vulnerable in that moment. He's, he, he's really vulnerable. But because he moves through this boundary of comfort, he's willing to step outside what's comfortable and cross the boundary, he experiences something of the amazing wonder of God's power moving through his body and healing him because he's willing to step outside of the boundary of comfort. Yeah? It would have been awkward, uncomfortable, vulnerable in that moment. And so these things I want to bring to us uh, as a community of people who want to follow in the way of Jesus. Okay, if we want to follow in the way of Jesus, then one of the things that we might want to embrace a little bit more of this week is the courage of that girl to extend an invitation to pray for those, maybe to begin with, who persecute us, which is what Jesus calls us to, to love our enemies if we're going to get on board with that, that's what, it, that's what it means. Extending an invitation to the good news to those maybe that are hardest in our lives. And when we are called to get outside of our comfort zones, maybe the edge weekend stuff has got you itching and thinking, oh gosh, none of that sounds particularly comfortable for me. But maybe God's calling you somewhere in your life just to step out of what's comfortable in order that you might experience a little bit more of his power at work in your life. Just ask him for a minute, God, is there somewhere? But also maybe you're here tonight and you feel like, oh, I'm on the outside, I'm just like that guy from Aram who doesn't know God, got no interest in God, got some things I could do with God's help with, maybe, but got no interest in God. And if that's you tonight, I just want to encourage you that God might be more at work in your life already than you know. And that might be worth something exploring. And I'd love to have a conversation with you later if that's you. All right, why don't we stand, if that's okay, and we'll pray.
And um, what I'd love you to do is just for a minute, just think about uh, if you had to pick one of those two things that most resonated with you, which one would it be? Are you feeling like your heart is quickening towards moving, encouraged to extend an invitation of good news to those in your world who may be difficult? Or is your heart quickening a little bit more to stepping outside of what's comfortable and what you know in order that you might experience more of God's power in your life, okay? If it's the first one, then I just want you to put your hands out like this. If, you're, if, you're, if you want to step outside, cross the boundaries and extend the invitation to difficult people in your world, or have the courage to do that, then I just want you to put your hands out like that. You don't have to do any of this. There's nothing, there's nothing particularly special. It's just like a, a physical response which sometimes helps our hearts engage. But if you're, if you're someone who's like, oh, I, I want to be the kind of person who steps out of what's comfortable in order to see more of Jesus in my life, then always put your hand on your heart. Okay, so hands out in front of you, hands in your heart. You don't have to do any of it if you don't want to, but just it might help some of us. And we just got to ask the Holy Spirit to come and move in our midst. And so Holy Spirit... We ask that you would come now. Lord, we pray that prayer that the church has been praying since you gave birth to it. Come, Holy Spirit, and move us, change us more into your likeness. We wait for you. We wait for you.